Well, good morning. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving and you had a great time with family and enjoyed the, uh, all the things that we have to be thankful for in this great country. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians where Paul literally says, sorry, not sorry. We're going to look at that in a moment, but let's uh, listen to the reading. I think we have a, a reading for that prepared. Please open your hearts to us. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts, and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you, and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all of our troubles. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy. But so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. But I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. To see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did wrong and who was wrong. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I had told him how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint. I have always told you the truth, and now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I am very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. So we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians in a moment, but before we get to that point, I think there's some important context for us to, to kind of think about. And I'm encouraged to be here with you today, but it's also a very difficult subject matter. And, and so I thought, well, if I'm going to talk about it, I need to, to get some help from someone who has a lot more acumen than me on this issue. So I asked my mom to help me, and she's going to come up for a minute. Now, she's accustomed to speaking in front of groups, but not so much in front of the church, so be encouraging for her. Because I'm, this is a big request I'm asking her to do. 
So um, I'm thankful she's coming up. So if you don't mind holding that and just face this way. So uh, <laughs> just a question. Did you spank me when I was a kid? Of course, yes. You did? I should know. Can you put the picture up? Put the picture up, if you don't mind. What could that young, cute little kid, innocent little boy, done of deserving of to being spanked? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> which, which one should I tell? <laughs> yeah, there, there would be quite a few if you did. So let me ask you this. When you had to spank me, did you enjoy it? Oh, please, it hurt me more. Yeah, yeah. That was always one of the things that bothered me. Just before I got spanked, what did I hear? This is going to hurt me more than you. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm not sure about that. So if you could, in that way that you've done before, could you tell them kind of how the spanking went down? Well, he only got it when it was something harmful to him or really bad. Um, so I hated spanking him. It hurt me more, really, than it hurt him. But I felt that he needed discipline and he needed to learn. So I would first spank him, only back here, and then I would tell him why I spanked him. And I would say, Mommy had to do this because I love you. And I would explain to him, I love you so much that I want you welcome in people's homes. I, want, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't. So I would explain that I loved him and that's why I did it. And so we got to where um, I would spank him and then I would say, now, do you understand why mommy had to spank you? And I would hear this, <gasps> because you love me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know y'all are not going to tell anybody that story. This is a confidential group here. And, and I know it's not going to come back to me from any of y'all. You're not going to say anything to me. There's going to be no harassment going on here, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but I only had to spank him once for each time. He never played with matches again. He, he, never, he never took a hair, my hairpin and tried to put it in the electrical outlet. Uh, so, and he never bullied anyone a second time because he was bigger than little old ones. So it worked. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate that. <clears throat> so we're going to talk today about discipline, and that's why it's a, it's, it's a difficult issue. Um, and, and I did get spanked as a kid, and, and, I, and as a 56-year-old man, I'm thankful that my parents loved me enough to spank me and discipline me. I can say that now, but, you know, when I was a child, what does the Bible say? When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But I'm not a child anymore. So I set those things aside. What I can tell you is that, honestly, I can remember the times my mom spanked me. I, I really can. I recall those events. And one of the things that I can recall is that preceding the spanking and the action that I did that deserved the spanking I remember kind of a little voice in my head saying, don't do this, this is a bad idea. I mean, I knew I was doing wrong, right? I mean, it wasn't like I didn't understand that I'd done something wrong. However, when my mom spanked me, I didn't really understand what this whole I love you thing is. Well, if you love me, why don't you spank me a little less, right? I mean, really, 
that was kind of the thought in my little brain because I didn't understand that discipline and love go hand in hand, okay? Uh, and, and, and I think, would you mind putting Proverbs 23, 13 up? So this was, when I, when I at a, later in life when I read this, I was like, oh, darn, you know? Because <laughs> now, like, okay, mom's right <laughs> again. And, uh, but also, you know, often I think, Maybe, maybe someone would say, well, you know what, that was old school, that was in the 60s. You know, we're 2018 now. That was antiquated, you know, spanking stuff. Really, you know, that's, that's old school stuff. It doesn't work anymore. Now we've got these new, new ways of disciplining kids and what have you. And I always go back to this one. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Now you can imagine, you know, as a little boy, I wasn't as big as I am now. I was bigger than the other kids, but it wasn't that big. But I bet you, if my mom wanted to, and she didn't, as she said, but if she ran across the room with a running start with the belt, she wouldn't have killed me. I mean, she's 124 pounds soaking wet, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes discipline involves spanking, right? Now, the word that jumped out to me here is discipline. It's a really interesting word because the first word and the root word is disciple. And disciple means literally to walk in the footsteps of. Now, I could be a disciple of Aaron or Jason or Kenny, and that wouldn't be a bad thing because that means that they're going to teach me things. But you and I are called to be disciples of Jesus, right? And that's a fascinating thought to me because when I think of disciple and literally to walk in the footsteps of, two things come to my mind. Psalm 119, 105, do you know that one? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Apparently, if Jesus doesn't illuminate the path for me, it's kind of dark. And maybe if I'm stubbing my toes and I'm falling down and what have you, it's because I, the word is not lighting my path for me. The other one that jumps to my mind is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it's a fascinating thing to think that I'm a disciple of Jesus, and how he disciples me is through his word. So if I'm not in his word, I might be in a dark path and it might be confusing because the world is dark. When, when it comes to disciple, there's the other word which we're talking about today, which was discipline. And my mom was disciplining me, right? And what did she say? Because you were doing something that was harmful to yourself or to others. And so, therefore, this was the consequence of what I had done. And when it comes to discipline, I think we often confuse that word with punishment, right? When life isn't going my way, what do I think about God? He is punishing me. Apparently, God doesn't like me, you know, sucking my thumb, right? Maybe I'm the only one who's done that, feeling sorry for myself, because if God loved me, this wouldn't be going on in my life, right? Similar to when I was a child and I, my mom was spanking me, like, she must not love me. Well, if I wanted to give you a definition of discipline this morning, as it relates to being a disciple of Jesus, discipline is Jesus growing and teaching us how to live the lives that he created us to live. Because if he doesn't teach us and grow us and we're in this dark path, we won't learn because we don't know on our own. 
Discipleship and discipline go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And to be honest, and maybe this is just me, there's been a time or two where God spanked me. Now, there's other times where he's disciplining me and growing me that it's not like spanking. So, for example, um, we love a praise band, right? They're awesome. But they have a discipline that they have been working on to grow and to train to be able to play music the way that they do. And if they don't practice that discipline, who knows what happens up here? They, one of their disciplines, they come every Sunday for at least 30 minutes or so, and they're practicing. But that's not like spanking though, right? But it is discipline. There's a thing called the 10,000 hour rule. And that's a belief that it takes 10,000 hours to master anything. 10,000 hours. Now, I'll pick on my mom a little bit. She's 80 years old. And if she was going to master the Bible, I figured it out. At 80 years old, that would have meant that from the time of birth, every week, she would have to spend two and a half hours studying the Bible in God's Word to have mastered it by now at 80. Gives you an idea of what's involved in discipline and discipleship. It's not easy. But please note, there's a difference between punishment and discipline. And we know that you are not being punished, nor will you be punished ever, because Jesus was punished for our sakes. Jesus was punished on the cross where you and I rightly belong for the consequences of all the things, as Jason confessed earlier, things we've thought about, things that we've said, things that we've done, because Jesus bore the consequence of that, you will never be punished. Discipline, yes. Punish, no. And I hope that gives you some rest and peace in knowing that you will never be punished because Jesus was punished for our sakes. So it's in this context of discipline we're going to get into Paul's letter to the Corinthians. But if you want to understand 2 Corinthians, we have to look briefly at 1 Corinthians. So follow me, if you will, a little bit because they're, they go hand in hand just like discipline and disciple. So 52 AD, Paul goes on his second missionary journey from Jerusalem, and he goes all the way over to uh, Greece, and he lands in a town called Corinth, and the Holy Spirit, through him, Paul, starts a church known as the Corinthian church, and Paul spends a one year and a half with him, and then in the spring of 54 AD, Paul leaves Corinth and goes back to Jerusalem. He spends about Oh, six months there, and then the fall of 54 AD, he goes on his third missionary trip, and he goes to a place called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, which is above Jerusalem, but far from Corinth. And while he's in Ephesus, Paul begins to hear some things going on in the Corinthian church that are very troubling for him. So the Corinthians were a hot mess. There were about 100 or so people, maybe about the size of us, and about 30% of them, or let's say 30 or so, were kind of old school Jewish people. I mean, they had this long history of Jesus and knew all the things from the Garden of Eden to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the other 70 or so were people who didn't grow up in that way. So this whole church thing was a new thing. So that was the mix of what they looked like. But the problems they had going on didn't have anything to do with their families of origin. It had to do with people being people. 
So one of the things they had going on is they had divisions. They were literally saying, for example, it would be like this if we did this. Oh, I'm a disciple of Aaron. And if you haven't been baptized by Aaron, it's not really a baptism because he's a pastor and pastors baptize. And then maybe Ian will say, well, I'm a disciple of Jason. And Jason's the guy who really makes things happen around here. And he's really the one we should be following. And Kenny would say, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And they would argue over this ridiculous stuff. And it created divisions amongst them. The other thing they did is they showed favoritism. I mean, certain people who had a name and a stature got treated better than other ones. They even had lawsuits against each other. Can you imagine? Suing each other in the church? David would be really busy as a lawyer. (laughs) Um, But the thing where they really got unraveled was as it related to sex and sexuality. Because God has created, in a loving way, this thing called marriage between a man and a woman. And in God's loving order of creation, sex between a man and a woman is God's idea. But when people get a hold of that idea, they corrupt it and change it into other things. And they practice it outside of the way God intended it in a loving way to be. And these guys were all over the place on that. And the culmination of that, the epitome of that, is expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Can we look at that one, please? So this is the first letter that he wrote from Ephesus. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. So first thing, typically when you see immorality in the New Testament, it's talking about sex, okay? An immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles. So these guys had something going on that people that weren't even associated with Jesus didn't do because they knew better than to do that. That someone has his father's wife. So, oh boy, thanks Aaron for giving me the, the message that includes incest, you know? I mean, I think we can all agree this is like really a horrible thing, right? It's really bad. You have become arrogant, have not mourned instead so that the one who's done this deed would be removed from your midst. This is really a significant communication he's saying to them because he's really calling them out. And where we see arrogant and have not mourned, a better way of seeing that is that Paul is saying, you're indifferent and apathetic to this sin that is occurring in your family that is destroying the family. The others are as well, but this is the epitome of it. Even the Gentiles know you don't do this, but for some reason, the Corinthians thought, oh, it's okay. And and I think the quick message for us, and we're not going to stop here, but when we, whether it's in our biological family or our spiritual family, when we become indifferent and apathetic to sin, that translates into us enabling and empowering sin to destroy our families. And if and where that's occurring with us, I pray that we would repent. Let's go to second, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4. So Paul continues on with him about this incest thing. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I thought we're all Jesus people, right? We're supposed to love people and embrace people and accept people and tolerate people. And we're supposed to just love them through everything, right? Look what Paul says. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that, the spirit may be, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Wow. I thought this was a church letter. I thought this was a loving letter. This is spanking of a new order, right? Sometimes in our relationships with people we love, God calls us to step back and release our hands and allow what's going to happen to happen. Sometimes. And I don't say that easily. But again, I can tell you that there has been an occasion in my life where God has said, okay, Dave, if you go down that path, I'm not going with you. I will be here. I'm not turning my back on you. I love you, but I can't go with you in that direction. That has occurred. And Paul is showing us here that sometimes in life with people we love, we have to have these very difficult discussions. And I'm not just preaching this to you, I can tell it to you. See, I spanked my son when he was little. We had a deal that he only got spanked for three reasons. One was for disrespecting an adult, okay, to their face. Two was laying hands on somebody in an improper way other than self-defense. And three was lying. And he had a pretty good chance that if he didn't lie, he wouldn't get spanked. And the first time I spanked him, he lied to me. And so I had to spank him, and we had this long discussion, and he acknowledged that he lied to me, and I said, like I learned from my mom, I love you, son, but we had a deal that if you lied to me, I'm going to spank you. So guess what? I'm going to spank you. I can remember it like it happened last night or just this morning. I can remember my son, he loved Batman, and he had Batman underwear on. I can see those underwear now. And I remember when I was getting ready to spank him saying, this is going to hurt me more than it will you. And him probably thinking, what? And I remember when the, bank, when the belt hit his little bottom, he started crying. He said, you're spanking me. And he cried. And when we, were, when we were done, I said, you stay in your room and you think about what you've done and don't come out until you've thought about it. And I went in the other room. And I sat down on the couch. And oh, man, I was miserable. Because there was this kind of gap between my son and I. Oh, I was miserable. And I remember thinking to myself, well, maybe, maybe that is too hard. Maybe I was too harsh. Maybe I shouldn't have spanked him. And I was worried about the effect that the spanking was going to have on he and I. And I remember I was sitting on the couch, and I had my head, be, my head in my hands in misery. And I looked up, and my son is standing in the doorway with these big crocodile tears. And I made contact with him. And when he saw my eyes, he ran across the room, and he threw himself into my arms. And he said, Daddy, I'm sorry. And I pulled him tight, and I said, I love you, son. And I assured him of my love for him. Well, fast forward about 20 or 16 years, and my son is living with me, and we had a deal. <laughs> and uh, 
the deal was he could live with me, because he was 21 at the time, 22. He could live with me. My family would help him go to school. All he had to do was take three classes, make B's or better. He didn't have to work. He could work if he wanted to, but he had room and board in school if he wanted it. Deal. Well, he wasn't keeping his part of the deal. But more importantly, he began to be dishonest with me. That went on for a while, and ultimately, I had to have the worst conversation I've had in my life with anyone. Because I had to sit down with my son and say, son, you're 22 years old. It's time for you to move out. You need to find another place to live so you can live the way that you want to live, and I'll support you from there. He blew a gasket. I mean, just lost his stuff. I gave him six weeks to find a new place to live. During that six weeks, he didn't speak to me once. Of course, he ate my food and slept in the house and enjoyed all the privileges. But he didn't speak to me once, not once. He would walk by me and ignore me. He would sit in the same room as me and not speak to me. Ultimately, he wrote me a letter, a profanity-laced letter that telling me in no uncertain terms that he didn't ever want to see me again, he didn't ever want to hear from me again, and, and, and. Well, after the six weeks he left, didn't bother to say bye, didn't tell me where he was going. I didn't know where he was, and I was, again, back on that couch. What have I done? About a year and a half later, right before Christmas, I get a phone call, and it's Joshua. Hey, Dad, it's me. Hey, Josh, I'm sorry. That was the beginning of that conversation. I'm sorry. I knew what I was doing, and I did it anyway, and I'm sorry. So on the phone, as best as I could, I reassured him, son, I love you, and I forgive you. And that was the conversation we had. Funny thing is, number one is, and next thing he says to me is, dad, guess what? Because he was in a drug rehab facility. Dad, they're making me do all the things that you wanted me to do. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> and in the same way that years earlier when he came and threw himself into my arms, I was relieved because I realized I did do the right thing in spanking him. Didn't want to. Hated doing it. Felt bad about it. But boy, the result was awesome. And fast forward to those 16 years later, and guess what? All that year and a half of anguish and praying. And guess what I had to pray during that year? Lord, whatever you have to do to mess up his life, to drive him to destruction so that he turns to you, you do it. You know what it's like praying that for your son? It is horrible. And not knowing what God's going to do? Well, after that phone call, thank you, I did the right thing. Now here's the other beautiful thing about it. Guess what? Today, my son hates lies as much as I do. He doesn't lie to me anymore. In fact, he tells me too much because, <laughs> no, he tells me about the things that happened to him during that year while he was gone. And I've been to his 12-step meetings and heard him talk about the, the horrific things that I would never want my son to go through. And I, it brings sadness to my heart to know what he's gone through. But boy, it brings joy to my heart to know where he's at today. Because today, I have a daughter-in-law and a grandson, and my son is no longer speaking like a child, thinking like a child, reasoning like a child. He's stepping up and being a man and being a father and a husband. Life's not easy for him by no choice of his own. Mistakes have happened that have made life very difficult for him and other things that have happened to him, not his fault. But boy, he's stepping up. 
And I'm very proud of my son now. Sometimes we have to have really difficult conversations. And sometimes we have to do really difficult things. And in the midst of that separation that can feel, is anguish, anxiety. Well, a little bit more about 1 Corinthians. At the end of chapter 16, what happens is that Paul says, hey, I'm going to come see you guys. I want to stay with you all some more. I'll be there soon. But he doesn't go. He stays in Ephesus. Guess what the people from the Corinthian church started to do? They began to question the integrity of Paul. See there? He says things and you can't trust him. He was going to come see us and he didn't come. Look at that. You can't believe anything that guy says. Forget that guy. And there's another reflection of human nature that we have. Sometimes when God sends someone into our lives to say the things that we don't want to hear, we, what do we do? We attack them. We attack their integrity. We attack who they are. Who are they to say that to me? Etc. And again, my prayer is that if and where God has sent someone to communicate to us his truth about who we are, that we wouldn't rebel and attack that person. Because it is very natural. Okay, so now we get to 2 Corinthians. Long road, right? <laughs> and what happens is Paul is addressing that accusation against his character and his integrity. I mean, he spent a year and a half with him. They know him. This is not a stranger or weird ideas. So now he's addressing that. And we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7, 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Can you see the sorry, not sorry? Can you see my mom saying, I didn't enjoy it, it hurt me to do it, but I had to do it because it was the right thing to do. Can y'all see that? Can you understand what I'm saying when it hurt me to tell my son you got to move out? Sometimes we're called to spank someone. I don't mean physically unless you have a child. But sometimes we have to have these really difficult conversations and we have to take some really drastic measures because the sin that they are living in is destroying our family. They are doing things that are destructive to themselves and to our family. Why did my mom spank me? Because I was doing things that were destructive to me and to others. And sometimes we have to have these very, very difficult conversations. But I want you to also, if that's you today, I want you to think about this. I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Kind of like my mom and me and that explanation of that time and period when we're anxious and worried about the result of what we've done. Paul has that. And what I hope you can find some peace in is to know this, that Paul was an apostle. What I mean by that is that he literally spoke to Jesus. Jesus met him on a road one day and face to face, just like I'm talking to you right now, picked him out and said, you're my guy. He knew Jesus face to face. He knew his voice. And also when he penned his letters, he was inspired by God. But in spite of being a disciple, apostle, and in spite of being inspired by God, he still was worried. He still was anxious. 
because he wasn't freed from his humanity. Jason confessed earlier, simultaneously sinner and saint. We can do a saintly thing, but my sinner self is still there going, how's this going to work out? I'm afraid. What if? But sometimes we're called to have some very difficult conversations with anybody. And again, I don't say that easy. 2 Corinthians 7, 9. I now rejoice. Kind of like I was telling you that when my son ran across the room and threw himself into my arms and said, I'm sorry, or the phone call I got, I didn't take pleasure in the pain that he went through or that I went through, but I rejoiced at the outcome. Not that you were made sorrowful or that you hurt, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Now, I just want to pause here for a second and think about this. I was sorry about you being hurt because I didn't write this letter to hurt you. That was not my intent. But I want to look at the word repentance for just a moment. So when we see the word repentance in the Bible, in a very broad sense, what it means is that I'm going this way and repent to turn around and go the other way. That's just a broad sense. You could use that outside of the church, right? I mean, it means to go one direction or the other. It's just a very broad meaning. But when we see it in the New Testament, we see kind of two meanings. One of which is expressed in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after, this is Jesus speaking, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And a kind of literal translation here is, move from your disbelief to your belief. In other words, move from your no faith to faith. That's the call of Jesus. Move from not trusting me to trusting me. Move from independence to dependence. Because that's what Jesus desires with us. Okay? But you see, repent and believe or faith are two different words. All right, then we come back to Paul. And we look at 2 Corinthians 7, 9 again. And we see repentance again. You notice there's no belief with this. Because when Paul uses repentance, he's using a word that is comprehensive. And the word that Paul uses here to describe repentance is when my inner heart encounters the truth of God's law and God's gospel and it moves me away from my sin to the grace of God to the point of salvation. It's a comprehensive word of repent and believe. But the key is that my heart is changed and I move away from sin and I move to God's grace and love. And Paul's saying, I rejoice because that's what's happened with you guys now. I know that letter hurt, but now you're not there anymore. You have moved away from your independence and you're not trusting and you're doing your own thing to trusting and dependence of Jesus. Well, as I said, to give you an idea where just a quick point of where Paul was struggling and then we can say this guy who was an apostle inspired by God still struggled. Look at 2 Corinthians 
chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might, not, that you might know the love which I have especially for you. Do you see the purpose in Paul explaining his letter? And him showing his heart and saying, I was crying when I'm doing this because I don't know how you guys are going to receive this. I have no idea what's going to happen now, and I'm afraid to lose you. But I have to do this. And then we could go back to the other, further along in chapter 7 when he says, but now I rejoice. Because not because I hurt you with my letter, not because of my words, but God has worked repentance in you. Your heart has changed. You have moved away from all those things that are destroying your life and destroying others and moved to God's grace. And God has worked that in you. And what a great day that is. But if I'm the one who's being disciplined, I often think of punishment, right? Maybe it gets me. Maybe that's just me. Let's look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? How does repentance happen? By the kindness of God's hand moving in my life. And sometimes he spanks me. And other times he's disciplining me in different ways. But he's always working in my life to move me away from my independence, my doing my own thing, to dependence and trusting in him. But boy, it's hard to understand sometimes, isn't it? Practically speaking, because we don't understand why God's allowing these things to happen in our lives. Let's look at Hebrews 12. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. You know the one who did, right? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, Father, if thou art willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, thy will be done. And in that evening, he sweat literally blood. And biologically, that's a real thing that happens in this earth, not only to Jesus, to others, but it's when people are certain they're facing death. This kind of blood and sweat happens. It's a real thing. Of course, it happened to Jesus because he knew what was happening the next day, right? And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, what does he do? Disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Scourging would be spanking, okay? If you've been spanked, God loves you, he doesn't hate you. It means, matter of fact, if you've been spanked, he loves you a lot. And I'm telling you, he loves me a lot. <laughs> it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and, and life? And live, rather. For they discipline us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
Wow. There's a really hard reality here. You know, we're, we, all of us are made right with God by Jesus being punished on the cross, right? That's the only thing that would make us right with God. He is the only one who can satisfy God. He is the only one who can appease God, and he's done that. But then there becomes life, and the life we live. And here's the really hard truth. A righteous life grows out of God's discipline of us. And the hardness of that is that it hurts. It's sorrowful. It brings tears. It brings pain. When God's love encounters my sin and says, I'm not going to let you do that anymore. It hurts. And that's a hard truth. It's a hard truth the world, the world doesn't want, right? Nobody wants to be disciplined. But if God loves us, he disciplines. We just read that. And guess what? We all need to be disciplined. As I told you, my mom, if she studied two and a half hours every week from the week she was born, she'd have those 10,000 hours. What do you want to guess? She hasn't had that much time. We all need to be disciplined. Because discipline is about Jesus growing and training us how to live the lives that he created us to live. And if he doesn't do that, we don't otherwise know it. And we continue doing self-destructive things. We continue hurting the people around us. We continue destroying the world around us. It's a difficult truth, but we all need discipline. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So we see here there's two kinds of sorrow, right? There's a sorrow that God produces in my life. The sorrow that my heart is changed because I recognize the destruction that I've brought upon myself, my family, and the world around me. And like my son, I run to my heavenly father, throw myself in his arms and say, Daddy, forgive me. But there's another kind of sorrow. It's a sorrow of the world. We see that all the time, right? A few weeks ago, Aaron talked about it. The sorrow that I, the sorrow that I got caught. That's the most popular one, right? Not that I did wrong, but that I got caught. But there's also the sorrow. Well, let's just say the sorrow of the world is sorrow that leads me anywhere other than to God to beg for his forgiveness. For example, um, my cousin is a principal at a junior high on the east side of town. And about a month ago or so, three weeks ago, um, a kid who he knows is selling narcotics in the school in eighth grade, a 13-year-old, troublemaker kid, they haven't been able to catch him selling narcotics. He's very clever in what he does. He's got a lot of techniques. But he's selling drugs on campus. So they have a drug dog that comes to campus. And that day, my cousin decided, well, you know what? Let's see if we can catch him today. Well, because of the way the rules are set up now, you can't isolate one particular kid. You know, you have to bring out the whole class. So he said, let's bring out the whole class, take the dog by, and he takes the dog by, and sure, the dog doesn't find anything. The kid is clean. So they take the dog by again. The kid is clean. So, oh, well, it didn't work. Everybody go back into class. And one of the kids says, I'm not going back in there. And my cousin said, you need to get back in class. 
I'm not going back in there. He said, why aren't you going back into class? And he said, because Johnny, the kid who sells the drugs, has a gun. And all the kids are back in the class. And my cousin says, got to do something. The other principal with him says, we got to call the cops. And he says, no, I got to go in there now. So he goes in the room and he says, hey, everybody, let's go back outside. And he goes to Johnny and he says, hey, Johnny, come here. Johnny starts to walk away. And he says, hey, hold on a minute, Johnny. Johnny turns around and my cousin can see the pistol in his pocket. Right? My cousin is now going towards Johnny. Johnny's reaching for the pistol. My cousin somehow knocks his hand out of the way. Kid goes back for it again. This time my cousin is closer to him. And the kid is bigger than my cousin, but younger. And somehow, in the process, he throws the, my cousin knocks his hand away, throws the pistol out on the ground. My cousin tackles the kid, has him on the ground, and a choke handle. Now, the part of the story you didn't know was, previously in that day, at another school where my cousin's sister happens to teach, there was an incident, and all of the law enforcement officials went to that school. So my cousin's there by himself, holding this kid down, who's there with a gun. Well... Long story short, police come, they arrest the kid, he's gone, kid will never set foot in a, in a, college, or a school campus again, he's in jail, et cetera, et cetera. He told the cops he came there that day to kill somebody. My cousin says, God worked it all out. It's nothing but a miracle of God that something worse didn't happen. Now, for me, I could have the sorrow of the world, right? What we need is more gun control. What we need is more police in the schools. What we need is metal detectors. What we need is, and on and on and on. Just If we have enough laws out there, enough rules in the way, this will stop, right? No. Because the law is weak against sin. It doesn't keep evil people from doing it if they're evil-minded. I'm not suggesting that there's nothing to be done, but I'm saying if I turn to man's ways of, of fighting evil, it doesn't work out. But what I can do is that I can repent from my indifference and my apathy towards sin in the world around me that has enabled and empowered sin to destroy families. And I can repent myself, throw myself into my loving Father's arms, ask Him for forgiveness, and pray that He teaches me a new way to live so that He might affect His difference in this world through me. Well, so this morning, I think we might fall into one of three categories or all three. First category is perhaps this morning you're hearing, well, you know what, I need to have one of those really tough conversations with somebody I love, and I don't know how it's going to end up, but I've got to have that conversation. And the first thing I want to tell you is Paul didn't do it alone. Number one, he did it with God for certain. But number two, he had other people around him. And if you're feeling that need to have that conversation and you're anxious and worried, which is natural, just like Paul was, maybe today when we have a prayer time, you can go and ask it to be prayed for. And maybe if you need a supporting group around you, reach out to someone here, even if you don't know someone. Because when we're indifferent and apathetic, to sin, we enable and empower the destruction of our families. The second place maybe is, maybe you're being spanked today. Maybe God is whooping you 
and it doesn't feel like it, you think God's punishing you. And maybe today is a day that during our prayer time, you can come up and say, I need prayer for this because I'm struggling with this thing that I'm destroying myself with, I'm destroying my family with, I'm hurting the world around me, and I don't know how to stop. But I promise you, run across the room and throw yourself in your loving arms to your father and say, I'm sorry, you're already forgiven. But there's another possibility, and this is, I'm sure, about all of us. We're all being disciplined, right? And discipline is important because we don't otherwise know how to live the lives we were created to live if Jesus doesn't discipline us. But in all of this, whether God is calling us to have that difficult conversation or whether God is spanking us or whether God is teaching us how to live the lives we live that is so difficult in all of that stuff, you can be sure of one thing. Why does God discipline us? Because he loves us, right? I say that kiddingly about, you know, when my mom used to spank me. I understand it now. And if we love people, discipline is involved. And if we are loved, discipline is involved. So my prayer is that this morning as we come to prayer, if, if the Holy Spirit's moving you in some way and you just need prayer, go ahead. I promise you, your loving Father is waiting with open arms. Let's pray together. Holy and gracious God, we just humbly come before you knowing that we come not on the righteousness of our own, but we come before you in the blood of the Lamb who was slain for us. And that by his precious sacrifice, we have forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that each one of us this morning would appropriate that forgiveness and receive it into our hearts and minds knowing that we truly are forgiven. And I also pray for whatever you're calling us to do in our life, however it is you're disciplining us, that we would bend our knees and confess that Jesus is Lord and Lord of all, knowing that you discipline us because you love us and you are not punishing us because you are a loving Father God who created us for a loving purpose, who created us for love's sake, who created us for your namesake because your name is love. So help us to surrender all this to you, Lord, knowing that we can trust you and that we can give ourselves to you because we belong to you in the first place. And we pray all that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, my name is Arthur, and uh, this is my story. Um, I'm not really sure what to say or where to start. Um, I've kind of been in... I mean, I've, I don't think I've gone through a time